Hey there, welcome to SciSection on CFMU 93.3. My name is Allison, and for this week's Scientist of the Week, I have with me from Perth, Australia, Dr. Ruchir Somawira, a herpetologist, evolutionary biologist, National Geographic Explorer, a research scientist for Australia, CSIRO, and much more. So thank you for joining me, Ru. Thank you, Allison. It's a pleasure. Well, we're really happy to have you. Just to start off, I wanted to ask, well, you grew up in Sri Lanka, an environment abundant with reptiles. So how would you describe the transition of your childhood interests over to your career as a herpetologist? Oh, well, um, so yeah, Sri Lanka uh, being a tropical island in the equatorial, um, equatorial belt is full of life. It's, it's one of the hottest biodiversity hotspots in the world meaning there's, there's actually a lot of things to play with. So I had so many animals to get inspired by and to play with and even to study, right, growing up. So this love for animals uh, began since I could walk and, um, and that passion, that love became a, a, a career, a curiosity, and then uh, kind of a lifestyle. So certainly growing up, in a place where there's plenty of things to see and, and get inspired by was a huge trigger. Um, I, always, I also wanted to work on the underdogs. In general, people love cute and cuddly stuff, right? We, um, yeah, anything with mammals, oh, that's cute, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to reptiles, it's always, oh, it's, it's scary, it's ugly, it's scaly, slimy. So I, I, was, I was fascinated by that, that part of the, um, that, that view that, oh my God, like we have so little idea about these things and there's so much more to learn. So that became kind of my focus. So having all that, all those animals around, plus uh, less known about them, they both played an equal role in uh, where I am now and studying them um, as a scientist. Wow, that's great. That's actually really cool because I grew up, growing up in a major city, I don't have that experience to really like go out to my backyard and see all that life. So it's really cool to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. So and, and the other cool thing is that uh, like reptiles are so adaptable. Like there's so many reptiles living in cities and in, in small spaces. It's not like looking for a lion or an elephant, right? So there's plenty in your backyard too. So, so a lot of people can pick these up as, at an early stage and uh, actually get inspired. Wow, okay. And then can you tell us a little bit about what the research process is like in your field? Yeah, so I'm a, um, I'm a field ecologist, meaning um, I do work in the field, actually hands-on stuff on animals. And we use a, I have, I have, a, I have a quite a, a diverse uh, research program going on, on quite a lot, quite a different things, um, largely on crocodiles but also on sea snakes and, um, and some lizards and generally about uh, reptile diversity. Um, so because of that variety, we use quite a lot of different methods and tools in science to understand these things. Um, so starting from sky, there's a lot of uh, chopper work involved because I work in very remote parts of uh, the Australian outback. It's, it's actually remote, like you can drive for days without meeting other humans. So, and, and there's no road access to some of these places. So we use choppers. Um, there's a lot of drone usage. Uh, my lab at CSIRO is, um, is building up a big drone capacity on all sorts of different drones from LIDAR to, to photogrammetry to multispec, studying different aspects from above. And 
Um, when on land, we do very hands-on stuff, uh, actually going out and catching animals, measuring them, tagging them, seeing what they're doing, um, remote cameras, um, all these remote sensing, remote uh, monitoring equipment. And then uh, with regard to sea snakes, there's quite a lot of diving and snorkeling. So, uh, so because of the wide variety of things I study, the methods are also quite varied and we use everything from on the sky, from the sky to on land to underwater. Wow, so you kind of do a little bit of everything, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, that, that's, that, that itself is also quite interesting because if you are doing the same repetitive thing your entire life, you, you, I mean, chances are you get bored. Yeah. Um, I love that that variety and uh, learning new skills by doing so. Wow, that's so cool. The idea of working and studying biology in the field has always been like something really interesting to me. Like I kind of want to look into that in the future. Yeah, certainly do. It's, uh, it has its moments and challenges, obviously, compared to uh, your career being um, in front of a desktop or in the lab. There's more safety net in that. When you're doing field work, there's a lot of things that can affect that from weather to your health to everything. But um, yeah, but um, for personally for me, I'm, I'm totally out there catching stuff. That's my thing. Wow, sounds super rewarding. And then in addition to your research, you also do photography. So what would you say is your favorite photo to have taken? And can you tell us a little bit more about the story behind it or why it's your favorite? Um, yeah, so um, for photography for me is a tool for science communication. I use photographs not for not to show that oh my god I have seen all this cool stuff and uh, and I've been this and that, but also uh, always to tell a story. Okay, guys, did you know that there's a there's animal like this? There, did you know that this particular animal do this? Um, so if I had to pick a photo, I think I, I'm I'm more I'm more interested in a photo having an impact on the animal rather than an impact on me, meaning that it's not about credit. It's not about winning a competition. It's about changing attitude in people so they actually understand that animal better or treat it better. So on, in that background, uh, a photo that I took a couple of years ago in Bali, uh, Bali has this, uh, Bali in Indonesia has this culture, what's called Kopi Luwak. So it's civet cat coffee. Uh, for people who don't know what a civet cat is, it's, 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 a, it's a medium-sized mammal, Think of a cat and a raccoon, something between that, right? So these guys, um, so they eat coffee beans and they poop out the seeds and then the seeds are then uh, washed and grinded into this very lucrative coffee industry. So people think that just because the civet cat eats it and poops it out, they, you gain medicinal and, um, and nutritional power, which is absolutely not true. There's science, actual science showing it's not true. What people don't realize is the dark side where how these animals are kept, right? So these are in cages, in battery cages, tied up inside cages, force-fed with these beans, not everywhere, but in some places. And um, the only thing they are eating are coffee beans, like um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I took a photo from my phone, not even a fancy camera, nothing. Nowadays, phones take amazing photos. I took a, fo a photo of this, this small civet cat tied up inside a small cage. And, and I put a spell on Instagram and Facebook saying, look, guys, you don't see the other side. This is what these animals go through to give you a cup of this nonsense coffee. And that post got shared like 40-something thousand times. And, um, and I got so many messages from people saying, this is something that we never knew. I'm never going to have this again. I got messages from cafes 
saying I, we did not know these, the, the ethical side of this, so we are not stocking it anymore. So for me, a photo like that would actually change life of few animals, which is more meaningful um, than me saying, oh my God, I want a competition. Um, so for that reason, if I had to pick a photo, it's that photograph of a, of a sad civet cat in, tied up inside a small cage. Wow, that's super impactful. That's really Absolutely. cool. And then, so as an explorer, you get to travel the world, like you've mentioned. You work in the Australian outback. Like you said, you just talked about Bali. Um, what is your favorite place to have visited or to have worked at? Oh, um, so I've, uh, um, that's a hard one. Um, I, haven't, I haven't traveled extensively. It's, for me, it's not about ticking a box of gab into this, 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 this. It's about understanding the place much better. So I have visited the same place over and over for quite a few places. Um, the first place have to be a tie between uh, the outback where I did my PhD, my postdoc, and I currently work in, um, and uh, Komodo Island in Indonesia, which is amazing. It's just unreal. Um, I've been visiting there for the last about four years, uh, working with the local authorities, the local rangers, learning from them, and also teaching them science tools. Um, and Sri Lanka, where I grew up and where my roots are. So between Sri Lanka, Komodo, and the Australian outback, I, I'm in love with all three. Wow. So it's a little bit more about um, learning about those like three places in depth and really getting to understand them. Right? Absolutely. I mean, you can visit a place and take and uh, put your social media photos, but you don't really get to actually know the people, the culture, the place that well. Um, so I personally, um, personally love actually getting to work with the locals, um, learning from them and sharing what I know with them, capacity building both ways, myself plus uh, the local authorities and the local collaborators. Um, so, so yeah, so the, um, personally I actually love that over just ticking a whole list of places. I'm, I'm like, and, and it's also, it comes to money too. Obvious reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like, that's a really nice take on travel because I feel like a lot of times, especially today, when you when we think of travel, we think of like a quick two-week vacation somewhere and then you post about it. But yeah, exactly. being able to stay for an extended time and really get to know everything yeah. about that area is super interesting. Absolutely. I mean, like the, a lot of, lot of, nowadays, a lot of our actions are about showing the world what we do, right? It's all about um, a, a selfie in social media for some people. I'm not, I'm not generalizing. But then um, it, it, you get to love a place when you actually get to know the people there. Wow, that's awesome. And then um, to bridge over a little bit, uh, in popular culture, films, etc., like you said, reptiles tend to be portrayed as something scary. They're menacing, but that's not really always true. So how do you dispel those myths and demystify reptiles? Or well, from popular media, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, like I'm a huge fan of, um, uh, of mainstream Hollywood movies. I absolutely love them. Um, but while it's entertaining, Hollywood movies of have actually painted a bad reputation for certain groups of animals, uh, from sharks, uh, starting from Joes, every vampire movie out there about bats, and, and reptiles are no exception, from snakes on a plane, to uh, the anaconda, to Lake Placid on crocodiles. These things, these things portray these animals as these killer machines out there to get you. 
But the reality is far from that. It's um, the, in fact, uh, with National Geographic Asia, I actually uh, host, I hosted this TV series where we, we talk about biology in uh, snakes in blockbuster movies. And we tell, okay, guys, look, anacondas are big, but they are not that big. They are not out there to like, just um, come and get you. So the biggest thing to take out of these movies is that there's no animal, that's, there's no reptile out there, or no snake for that matter out there would see you and they're like, oh yeah, that's, that human looks yummy, I'm gonna eat him, right? Or I'm gonna bite him. That, that just simply doesn't happen. So no, no snake is dangerous if you leave it alone. So while this is entertaining, the, the reality of their behavior is so different to what you see on movies. There's nothing out there to, when you look at it, it's like, oh my God, like I want to eat that human. Um, so what you have to take is like, this is light entertainment. It's um, what you see, what you see in those movies as behaviors of animals are absolutely not true most times. Um, and for many, many reptiles, the first reaction is to flee, to avoid you and try to get away. Then if they, if they are cornered or if they are harassed continuously, if there's no other option, They'll fight back for self-defense. It's no difference to what a human would do, right? It, it's the last option. So, so while while there are there are big snakes, there are venomous snakes. If you keep your distance, have that mutual respect, leave it alone. Nothing's gonna nothing's gonna come and um, bite you or eat you just spontaneously. Wow. Yeah. Like even before this interview, I watching all those movies growing up and just kind of being surrounded by that idea. I have been kind of scared of reptiles, but like even in the pr preparation for this interview, I was reading some of your stuff and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe not. Like maybe they're not as terrifying as I'm like, part of my mind perceives them. Yeah, and I mean, it's very easy because we uh, reptiles in general don't have human characteristics. Like we can't, when we see a, when we see a great ape, like a chimpanzee, or even some of the non-dangerous ones like a dolphin, a koala, we 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 kind of relate it. Oh my! Oh, it's cute. It has emotions. Oh, it'll it'll be cuddly, right? Reptiles don't show that. They always have that straight face. So we 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 don't. The, I use these three words: mysterious, mesmerizing, and misunderstood. So reptiles are all those three. Like we are we are fascinated when we see a snake. We're like, oh wow, there's a snake. But we are it's mysterious and misunderstood. We're like, oh, it's going to kill us. So, um, so it's very easy for us to um, like see a movie of a of a of a crocodile going and eating every every person who jumps in water, and um, and think, okay, that's what crocodiles do. It's hardly the true. Obviously, obviously, there are incidents where you get attacked if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But um, it, but to but to judge a group of animals based on what you see on TV, nah, nah, absolutely not. Wow. Okay. And then, so that's one way, but another way you're involved in science communication is your new podcast that you actually just recently started, Zootopica, where you kind of bring zoology to a more general audience, including non-scientists. So can you tell us more about, about that podcast and what's in store for future episodes? Yeah, so um, so I see I'm, I'm a huge believer of uh, the public's involvement in conservation of animals, right? So we can't just by having rules or just by having wildlife managers and rangers, there's no way we can effectively and sustainably protect animals or, or, or nature for that matter. So the public has to get involved. 
and for the public to get involved they need to be educated uh, because it's not everyone's cup of tea to go and look for information right so that information should be available in a format that's that a general person can digest and there i see a huge disconnect between the scientist community and the general public there's a lot of brilliant top scientists out there but and do some amazing work but the when it comes to taking that message to the end users or the general public the language the terminology the references the examples everything's used to convey that message does not resonate with a with a general person so my idea behind uh, zootopica which is a uh, topics in zoology um is a uh, is to it's a it's a start it's a very casual and a simple small start of a hopefully a long journey of a podcast to discuss topics in zoology but tell what the what the most recent science says about it says about the topic but to use examples from day to day life and popular culture so people can relate to it all right uh, okay so oh wow so okay so so the first uh, first couple of episodes were about the beginning of life on earth and the next episode we are filming tomorrow is about love in the animal world and we have got some amazing questions so people have been sending questions and we discuss it telling okay what does actual science says because if you google there's so like google, google it's a like wikipedia is a very useful resource but it's not act it's not factually true or or reliable all the time because anyone can actually have a wikipedia page it's not peer review so our idea is to show that okay this is what actual scientific evidence says and and some of these are urban myths also and so but to take it in a format that people can understand so that's where zootopica is i would um i would love um the listeners if you if you go on youtube it's a it's a video podcast and um give us some feedback on how to develop because it's a very early start yet um and we want to go a long way Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was listening to that first episode and it was just so interesting like all the th- different things that the questions and the topics were just super like just engaging to listen to. So definitely for anybody on sci section who would be interested to go check they should go check that out. Thank you very um, much. And then to finish us off really really quickly, I wanted to ask what can we do to help with the conservation of these reptile species? Sure. So reptiles are uh, threatened by so many different factors, uh, from large-scale ones, uh, including invasive species, the impact of invasive species, to habitat change, to urbanization, to climate change. All those. As a general, as as an individual, these are not problems you can solve, right? So these are not problems we can solve. These are policy-related and large-scale problems. My advice or my opinion is that the best thing you can do to help conserve reptiles or anything is to have a mindset change to tolerate things and to learn to coexist with things and that comes through education so so rather than going with the flow going with okay i have heard that when a rattlesnake bites you die in 2 minutes right so which is absolutely not true but rather be curious to learn what's true and and then appreciate that have that mutual respect to animals and as i said before too if you no 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 animal is dangerous if you leave it alone right so learn about things 
appreciate them, tolerate them, and learn to coexist with them. Because there's so many animals that share our space. Like your own backyard will be a zoo if you actually look closely. And um, all what it takes is to actually appreciate that and to tolerate that. Because a lot of times, like uh, when you see a snake in the backyard, for example, people panic and um, and call all sorts of numbers. In most, that's that's a good scenario. In the most, in the worst case scenario, they'll first kill it and then think, oh, what kind of snake it is, right? Um, Although that's the first time you saw that snake, that snake probably was living their entire life because snakes like us have their whole home range too. So they are hanging around in the same place. Um, They're not nomadic as we think. So, so it's just, it was there for the whole time. It's the first time you just saw it, right? So, so rather than panicking and going with what you have heard, like try to take a step back and, um, and to tolerate it, you know, co-occurring with you. Obviously, there are dangerous animals. Obviously, accidents can happen. But there's an education-based solution for a lot of these conflicts too. And that comes through education too. So seek that knowledge and, um, yeah, just tolerate co-occurring with other things. Wow, okay. So be curious and coexist. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that wraps up this episode. So thank you so much for talking to me today, Rue. It's been really interesting. And so make sure to be on the lookout for more of the latest interviews from Sci Section. And also go check out uh, Rue's podcast, Zootopica, on YouTube.